Support for this podcast comes from TPT Digital, TransPerfect Specialized Division, helping brands boost their global presence and international performance. This is Off the Clock with your hosts, Shane Madden and Whit Harwood, taking a deep dive into the structural changes into the business world as a result of the global pandemic. Hi, everyone. I'm Shane. And I'm Whit. Welcome to another episode of Off the Clock where today we talk to Lee Gammon, CEO at Wonderman Thompson, a WPP agency, about the winners and losers of COVID, industry shifts, trends, and how businesses have adapted. We've got plenty to get to today, so wait, I think we should jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us. This is uh, Shane Madden from TBT Digital. I'm joined uh, by my co-host, Whit Harwood from Peacock. Uh, and on today's segment, we're super uh yeah, super thrilled to have uh, a long, I guess, a long-standing partner friend of mine, um, Lee Gammons, who's the CEO of Wonderman Thompson Technology at WPP out of London. Um, so Lee and I actually met uh, probably 2015, there thereabouts in, in Las Vegas at a Sitecore symposium, um, developed our relationship uh, from there. And I guess uh, we did all the circuits and all the trade shows, went down to uh, Orlando, Florida. Um, and yeah, Lee and I have been have been friends for, for a few years. So really, really thrilled to have you on the show, Lee. And, and thanks so much for uh, for your time. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you and it not be five o'clock in the morning as well. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me, <laughs> yeah. Shane. And nice to, nice to speak again, Whit. So you, you mean you'd rather you'd rather speak in a podcast than, than, uh, than not at the bar in, in Las Vegas, huh? That's absolutely not what I mean at all. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. Anyway, listen, this is this is really great, and really appreciate your time. I know I know you're uh, particularly busy, especially since you got the recent promotion to to CEO. And congrats on on, on that new appointment as well. So, I, I guess today's segment we we want to focus on COVID being the great accelerant. So it did in eight months or nine months or ten months what it previously took ten years um, for companies to achieve. And I think you and your role and kind of your company. Uh, this is particularly, uh, you know, well suited for 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 kind of your feedback, and would love your thoughts and comments on it. And there's three main tenants for me, really. Um, and Whit and I have kind of discussed this before the podcast. And those those three tenants are: first, mobilize workforce; secondly, companies trying to drive inefficiencies, uh, drive down inefficiencies. Um, and I guess then third is the adoption of technology solutions. So. Um, would love to understand kind of what you're seeing in the trenches with your business at WPP and if you have any war stories you can share and just generally your thoughts in, in terms of what we've seen with uh, with respect to COVID over the last 10 or 11 months. Yeah, and I think quite a similar journey, I guess, is in my mind as well. I mean, the initial um, rush for everybody to be, you know, getting Teams and Zoom and everything else installed in their businesses and making sure that they can replicate as much as possible the business and office environment at home um, has been you know, the first part of it. But for quite a long time, and I think you put it quite nicely, Shane, uh, there's quite a long time that people have been striving to become more digitally native, perhaps. Um, I think already about digital is about 50% of um, brand and marketers spend, and it's due to only go in one direction. I think it's going to be 70% in the next five years or so. But all of these things for me are really being guided by the consumers and what they're really looking for from businesses. So we've we've also done some research throughout it to make sure that we're on the on the button when it comes to working with our clients and our customers. And something like 35% of consumers say that they shop online more than they did before, which isn't surprising. And then 
you know the, the online experience is more important than it's ever been um but interestingly you know 44 percent of the consumers that we spoke to agree that online experiences have generally improved um since the pandemic started so people are using it as an opportunity and they're making sure they get more headspace with with consumers uh, and interestingly the last kind of stat for it is um 58 percent uh of consumers that we interviewed said that they were impressed with how brands handled the covid crisis so it indicates that companies have taken measures to make sure that they adapt to use it as a kind of a positive thing to reinforce their messages um and i've seen some you know there's there's many different things within you know there's technology innovations but some of the things are, are much more simple than that so you know retailers mailing out tape measures to consumers and doing fittings um over over kind of virtual meetings doesn't seem very crazy but why weren't we doing that before i've got no idea um, hotels offering day rates to people who are working from home. Remote workers just need to get out of the house from time to time. I'm sure we've all seen restaurants selling groceries, fitness classes going online. I mean, they're all things that we can see happening pretty, you know, pretty easily. I think in the in the world even a year ago, but they've just been accelerated and pushed through. Um, and I guess I guess the last thing and some more concrete examples, the businesses that we've seen that have got very flexible business models. And by that, I mean, are willing to go into offering new products, new services have been the ones that have really come out, out of this successfully. So, you know, if you think of, we actually work with a media business right now where they, you know, they feel that they're a very good center for information around financial services. So why wouldn't they open a credit card, for example? I mean, the thought of a newspaper opening a credit card seems a little bit alien, perhaps, but you know they are they are a source of information. People go to them, so why wouldn't they? Um, and you've seen that, but then you see more you know, wackier versions. So, seen one airline in the Far East have turned two of their jumbo jets that are grounded into pop-up restaurants. So, and you can actually book in the different classes, which is quite interesting. You can book economy, business, and first class. I think it's about five hundred dollars. It will run you for a, a first class suite. But what <laughs> they've done with that is, you know, I mean. $500 in the grand scheme of running an airline, I imagine isn't, isn't going to make much of a dint, but you know, naming the press, increased brand equity, looking to do something with what they've got. Um, I think one airline potentially has taken it a bit too far. They're literally selling off the the china and the champagne flutes and the slippers and uh, <laughs> and actually bread baskets. I couldn't believe this, but I saw there were some 2,000 packs of bread um, to consumers. Um but actually, they got they got that a little bit wrong because uh, the site crashed because people were so keen to buy bread from this one particular airline. Um, so mm. you can get it even doing something like that that will get some good um, good name in the press and actually get a bit of brand equity. I think can also go wrong. So it's interesting to see the different things that people are trying to do. Um, and that I guess one of the last things that we we really saw was that seventy five percent of the businesses and the clients that we spoke to, so three and four. I said that without a digital presence, they would struggle to survive. Um, yeah, and, yeah. You know, it, I actually thought it might be a little bit higher, but three or four businesses, they, they can't survive without it, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I guess that the, the spirit of the sentiment of what you're saying is businesses are adapting to, to an ever-changing environment, right? And it's been driven by consumer behavior. In this instance, it's COVID, so people not leaving their homes. And so that kind of raises my next point, which is, right, so... There's a lot of speculators that refer to this as the great dispersion, or again, it's the great accelerant. So things happening quicker in eight or 10 months than they did in the previous 10 years. And, and, and one, I guess one sector that we can talk about specifically is if we look at retail, 
and I'm surely some of your clients, we don't, you know, we don't have to specifically mention the client names, but if we, if we look at a stock like Shopify and what they've done in 2020, uh, in terms of not just of market cap growth, but also share price, uh, they are probably the unicorn of, of 2020 in terms of retail. And then you look at restoration hardware. And the reason for, I guess, restoration hardware is people want to invest in, in their homes because they're spending more time there. So you, you touched on something there, right, that I think is pretty interesting. And I think, I, I think U.S. online sales increased year over year by 30%. And if we, if we compare Black Friday with Singles Day, um, like the numbers are staggering. So do you, do you have any thoughts or, or kind of comments in terms of retail and, and what you're seeing in, in at WPP? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the change that you're talking about is staggering. I think uh, I saw something in, um, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review, where they said the 50 years ago, the average lifespan of a business on the S&P 500 was 60 years, and now it's 18. And on the FTSE 100 is 17 years. And you know, the world is continuing to change, but some estimates that, you know, in something like six, seven years, 75% of the businesses in the, on the S&P will have changed as well. So that's just mad if we think about how much we've changed in 50 years and we're looking forward over the next seven. But going back to, I guess, the the businesses that have managed managed to kind of grasp hold of this and, and make the most out of it with people shopping more online, as you say, I think some of the war stories that we've heard from our clients are, you know, decision makers are saying that they've got real difficulty in unifying all the data they've got across all of the different channels. Yeah, and that yeah. The data, data silos that they've got within their organizations are a massive problem. And so that's clearly a huge hurdle when it comes to delivering things like a multi-channel strategy, when it comes to delivering personalization at scale. Um, but actually, some of the things that we've seen that consumers are more annoyed about or getting more frustrated about is some of those simplify, you know, making sure that um, websites are performance, that they load quickly, that you're not having to struggle to find content, that you're not having to, you know, spend hours and hours looking for things that should be easy for you to find. So although the businesses are kind of running in one direction, making sure that they can personalize everything to the nth degree and, you know, quite rightly spending quite a lot of money on first party data strategies with the changes to third party data over the last few years, um, some of the basic table stake stuff uh, that you've got to make sure you get right with your consumers to give a consistent experience of the things that you've got to have. Um, and so we've actually seen a lot of clients who are saying, look, we're not going to be spending huge amounts of revenue on new CapEx projects. You know, we've got to batter down the hatches a bit at the moment. So how can you make the most of what we've currently got and how can you make it, you know, work for us and really sweat the assets that we've got. And then, you know, next year we'll probably look at new bits of technology and how we actually mm. kind of take those next steps. So, it's really interesting. It's kind of a mixture of I've spent a lot of money the last five years and we look at the Scott Brinker diagram of seven, eight thousand MarTech and AdTech solutions out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so many, right? And and businesses are now saying, look, we've made all these decisions. Let's make sure that we can make the most out of what we've currently got, take stock a little bit before we make that next step. And so, you know, unifying data, getting some of those basics right, which businesses think they've already got right, but consumers are telling us still are a little bit missing really uh, I, don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen something similar but that's certainly what we're, we're seeing at the moment yeah absolutely and i guess i have one last question um before i before i pass over to wick because i i do want to i do want to raise something but so lee you touched on something here which is the unification of each one of the different channels in the value chain right so and and companies not wanting to go beyond current capex because they've got 
so much they want to double down on that. Makes sense. The big problem, I guess, and you're probably seeing this more than anybody, is data how, and, and, and the management of that data. And I'm sure there's, you know, there's so many companies out there with enormous amounts of data segments in data lakes. I guess my question for you is like, are you seeing clients come to you and say, hey, we have all this data, we don't know what to do, with what should we do with it with a view to improving personalization or improving the customer experience? Yeah, well, actually, I think even more basic than that, we've been asked the question, we're collecting all this data, do you think we should be? And, you know, the answer often will be, well, probably not. What are you going to do with it once you collect it? And I think you know, making sure that you're collecting data in a responsible way is one thing. But once you've got it, you've got to be able to drive insights from it. You've got to be able to learn from it and actually provide some value back to consumers. And some of the research that we've done is that you can, you know, consumers are quite happy for that value exchange to take place as long as they're getting something in, in return. And what they want in return is the best deal that they can get, um, discovering new products, for example, that are very similar to what they're currently looking at. Um, mm. But it all goes back to, you know, the last two, three, potentially even five years. I think that trust is kind of becoming the new currency of dealing with consumers. So yep. anything that helps gain that trust and not abuse it is absolutely key. So you've got to continue to have those first party data strategies that collect that data and make sure that you go into these Oh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say these days that a personalization at scale strategy is blue sky thinking because so many people are trying to do it. But I mm. would say that going into it with some real outcomes around what are we actually going to give our consumers at the end of it is the most important thing. And I think yeah. making sure you've got those goals right before you before you kind of just dive headfirst into it is a key thing. And yeah, yeah, so, it's probably fair, right? Because lots of companies were like. They weren't working backwards from from what the end goal was. They were probably saying, "We have all this data. Let's optimize or monetize it." And that's not really uh, your point, I guess. Is that's not really the way to handle it. And another interesting thing is, so with the duopoly of, I guess, the the two, you know, advertising mammoths in Google and Facebook, you touched on something there, which I think is really interesting, which is in the face of antitrust and and, and just the lack of, I guess, transparency to consumers' data. Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens, companies, and I'm sure clients of yours, in terms of regulation around the management of this data going forward. Um, I, I don't know if any clients of yours have, have mentioned anything to you, but if if you have any any insight into that, happy. I would love for you to <laughs> love for you to share it. Yeah, I mean, naming names isn't necessarily the easiest thing, but I'd say there's a, you know, the, the probably one of the biggest topics that we've had clients talk to us about are. Um, you know, CDPs and data platforms and how they all integrate together to feed the various different experiences they're trying to to serve to customers. And it's not all about just pure personalization. It's also about having a consistent experience across channels, which I think you're going to need a range of different data points, both digital, online, offline, you name it, you're going to need it really. Um, and the storage and management that is, is going to be paramount to making sure that you um, you make sure that you maintain trust with those people so you know it is something that's popping up on a fairly regular basis i mean the, the anecdote i said before around um you know a customer saying to us oh we've got all this data um isn't it great that we're collecting it and we just said well why why, why do you need it all and mm. didn't really have an answer it wasn't as trying to trip a client up it's just genuinely we just want to know what you're going to try and do with it so i think there's going to be a bit of a you know 
over the next few years a bit of a day of reckoning around where data sits um, what consumers know about the data that you hold on them it's already happening right now uh, mm-hmm. and making that as transparent as possible because as i say if you if you lose trust there's so many other ways for people to go and find similar businesses or similar products out there that you'll mm-hmm. just lose that customer and you can't afford to do that in this this day and age yeah from a personalization and design perspective having all of that data is phenomenal and the ability to then a b test and serve different front ends to different users on a one-to-one basis is obviously key is there a threshold though where maintaining all of those uh front end designs and just personalized experiences no longer is tenable for a business and then all of a sudden from a brand perspective if you mean something to each individual user does that dilute the overall brand equity at all that is a massive question to be honest <laughs> I, uh, I I would say that if you're not striving to do some of those things, then you're probably in the wrong business. I mean, there's fairly well-known FMCG businesses. I think one of their mantras is to make 1 billion um, personal connections, um, which is a client of ours. We work with them. And for them to be able to do what you just described there, it's not just about personalizing an experience within a channel. It's understanding much further up the um, the content stream. So if you think about the ideation stage, the creation stage of that content, how it is then transcreated and translated and pushed into a dam, then pushed out into channels, and then you learn from those insights that it should start feeding the ideation stage again. If you want to be able to do that, you need to have a common view across all the different technologies that you're working with. Think of all the tools that you need to do that. You need a MRM tool, you need um, creative management tools, you need, you know, so you need that full full stack view. And then you also need to have a very, well, a very understandable, but a common taxonomy and tagging process throughout the whole of it so that you know that this bit of um, content or this bit of information here has done this with our set of consumers and this is how we're going right. to learn from it. And so you can do all of those things and you can spend all the money in various different ways, but if you've not got the underlying um taxonomy and that tagging structure uh, you're not going to get very far and right. it's one of the you know the old misconceptions of all oh, that there'll be bits of technology that can do that but really there's you know the technology there's the operating model to then use the technology there's the process change to get from where you are today to where you need to be and then there's the data underneath it to be able to power those experiences and you've got those four strands as opposed to just the one bit of throwing in a bit of personalization so yeah and Going back to the final bit of that question around brand equity, if you are a, let's just say an FMCG or a CPG business and you've got multiple brands within within your stable, as it were, I don't think it does dilute anything if you actually help um, consumers discover adjacent products, adjacent services, things that will actually enhance what they're looking for and, and, and make their lives a little bit easier. At the moment, people are looking for convenience wherever they can get it. Um, right. and if you can provide that and you can going back to the point I made earlier about that value exchange, if you're going to say, well, if you do this, you'll get the best deal within this area. Who's going to really say no to that? But all of the things to power that, as you say, are, are so broad and it's, it's very difficult to be able to really put your finger on what you need to be able to do to do it in, there's no silver bullet at all. Yeah. You just mentioned one other quick thing I wanted to touch on, which is kind of revenue optimization, deal optimization. And um, is there obviously uh, promotional or, you know, inventory optimization against um, 
individual users is something that has been around, you know, for the last, I don't know, 10 years. It, it, Amazon has been giving me good deals ever since I look at a product three times for a long time. <laughs> so uh, is there anything though in the, the as all of this data is aggregated, um, user profiles are built out more towards a one-to-one -one basis. Uh, is there anything from a price elasticity standpoint that you've seen where um, uh, any kind of further, what, what's the next step for price elasticity on one-to-one -one user level or, or is there anything there? So I think there's a, well, I guess the question I would ask back to you is, do you think that that's, um, that's taken place to the nth degree now? Or do you think there's quite a way for that to, to be pushed? I think your Amazon example is one example of a business that, um, you know, knows quite a lot about you perhaps. But if you think of that across all of the different things that you buy, all the different services that you, you work with, I'm not sure that everybody's doing that to the, um, uh, to the degree of competency as they could do. So I don't really know how much further that can go. I don't, uh, you know, to be honest, I think the more that people end up using um, data to provide value back to consumers, um, the less that people are going to be concerned about that. But I think there's still so much around that trust piece right now that means that people don't, um, people know that you know, for example, that you're being sold to in that scenario. So automatically you then are second guessing some of those things. So it's already changing some of your behavior towards what might be a very good deal. So I think there's quite a lot that within that that you need to unpack before you get to the answer. Yeah, and I, it is a loaded question. I do think that it's happening at least on the retail level um, significantly and you know airline tickets are, are a great example of this too in terms of just how airlines price their uh, seating seats over time um, I wonder if coming out of COVID and this is more just a an open question that we can all look at going forward is do experiences be sold can experiences be sold at a one-to-one -one level and does you know uh does a concert mean more to me than it does the next user and how a company could leverage data um, in a way that would make me pay more for uh, a Bruce Springsteen concert than Shane because um, he doesn't really <laughs> care. But um, it, uh, it it's just something to keep track of over time because I think this happens kind of at the, the retail kind of sales level, but not necessarily outside of that. It's just a model to, to think through. Yeah, and going back to yours and shit, I mean, I'm sure Shane is a big Springsteen fan, but if you two, big, together, big guy. If you two go to that gig together and you find out that you've paid significantly less or more than your friend, then what does that make you feel about that business and that brand? And I think, you know, there's right. there's a few different parts of the of how you want to approach customers and brand equity is one of those things. Customer loyalty is another thing that you need to measure alongside your sales and your top line growth and if you think that one is going to be compromising the other significantly then you probably won't do it and i think you know having those three or four things constantly being balanced and looked at is how you're going to make those decisions and i don't think i don't think i've come across a business that's absolutely nailed it so i do think there's quite a bit of a way to go so when I, I have one for you so one of the i guess one of the, the pivotal changes we've seen during COVID. um as you know, with in line with this great dispersion is is the explosion or proliferation of OTT, right? So we've got the shared economy, I guess, is another one with Uber and um, I guess specifically for OTT and for you for Peacock, like you're disrupting the whole the whole ecosystem. And that in media industrial complex, so the old cable, 
how we were fed information, how we consumed it has changed. Uh, I think probably fundamentally, or I, that's a structural change, I think. So yeah. where, where do you see this thing going when people come back to the office, not even to the office, but when, you know, when the vaccine starts getting rolled out and people start taking, like, where, where do you see this thing playing out in the next, I guess, 12 to, to 18 months? Yeah, well, COVID is kind of the epitome of something that did accelerate a lot of trends that were already there. Um, we launched our limited release in Comcast markets in April, and um, <laughs> which was incredible timing to launch a streaming service, a bit of a cheat code. But, uh, you know, we were able to get good data about what people were watching. And early on in COVID, they were watching a lot of um, a lot of comfort food because people were not feeling particularly comfortable about their situation. And they wanted to go back and relive the classics of everybody's loves Raymond and um, parks and recreation on down the line. I, I think broadly speaking, um, this, this trend towards disaggregation over the course of the last few years, uh, simultaneously coupled with uh, the, the cord cutting cord shaving paradigm, which we could also get into. I, I think that there's a, there's a little bit of a Trojan horse here when you're looking at the virtual MVPDs of YouTube TV, Hulu TV, uh, Hulu with live TV, because those aren't necessarily even cost saving measures anymore based on your, your package and your bundle. Um, but ultimately you're looking at kind of all of these services and the, the only way to really get back towards some semblance of a positive user experience is aggregation within uh, an individual platform. Um, and those platforms predominantly are the Fire TVs, the Roku's of the world. Um, I actually think the Google TV uh, OS that sits on top of their new Chromecast hardware is probably the, the best device that I've seen. But ultimately what I think happens is um, all of, uh, I think Roku, Fire TV and Google kind of sit as this operating system layer on top of the TV manufacturer manufacturers. And so the way that people will ultimately access content um, will be towards single operating systems and they will choose one of those three primary operating systems um, and they will just buy a Samsung TV and all of those streaming services will be aggregated within the operating system that is natively built into their TV. So um, as far as what that means, broadly speaking for, um, the, the internet cable bundle, which has been so uh, tightly tied over the course of the last few, uh, not few, few decades, really, um, it, it's hard to say because I think uh, obviously the cable um, ecosystem is deteriorating, but I, I think that in the long run, this is a much better experience for users because you're then take you have the ability to take this wherever you go. And I certainly have it's a, a net benefit to to have um, all of my services aggregated, you know, on a Chromecast that I can bring to a hotel room if I want, as opposed to yeah. being reliant on a clunky cable box. Yeah, it, for me, that's it's one of the one of the biggest the industries are one of the biggest uh, shifts. But as you said, it's an accelerant. It was already happening. And I guess on that note, right? So if we take, I, I think the other three sectors that we've seen paradigm shifts in is, is travel. So we saw the Airbnb stock. I think it's now valued the company's at 80 billion market cap. So it's bigger than the five other hotel stocks combined. That I that that is a really interesting business model because Lee, I don't know if I don't know if you use it personally, but I don't know if any of your clients are looking at this as a space. 
and I say this, right? So uh, 47 million active users a month, 70% of business generated organically, so non-paid media. And if you've got a, if you've got a, Lee was talking about, sorry, Wit was talking about Trojan horses. This, this thing is, there's no limits, meaning, um, you know, skyscrapers could be the pyramids of the past. And what could end up happening is you could have Airbnb license uh, or use the kind of WeWork licensing model. I just think that's super interesting to see. I don't know if your clients are, if you have any travel and tourism clients. Lee. I think every client is uh, excited to hear about um, times that they can get organic uh, customers and, and traffic to them. And I think the, you know, the, it's amazing what they've done as a business. They've got kind of, a, again, a great value exchange there for, um, for users of the properties, but also for the people, you know, the people who rent their properties out. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it already is one of those big changes, as we've already talked about Uber, and we've talked about many different things that have changed a lot of the industries that they're part of. But I, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we've seen quite a lot of uh, our clients over the last few years, in particular, trying to move things um, or have more control. I think over what they're doing. If you go back to some of the numbers I mentioned before, around you know, fifty percent of brand and marketing spend at the moment is being spent on digital and it's going in one way. Traditionally, that's been done by a lot of businesses that sit outside of the brands and organizations that we service. They work with agencies like hers. Nowadays, they want to have some more of that control in-house and it's to create some of those things that they have, you know, um, a bit more of a, they can put their own stamp on, but also that they can own it a little bit more. And and I think that's fair. I think that's why you see, you see quite a lot of insourcing at the moment and you see a lot of businesses looking to make sure that they own how those experiences are created and, and what they're going to do about them. Yeah, yeah. I guess I know we're coming up in time here, but there's there's probably two other sectors. One of one of which is education, and actually, Wit and I will will we'll be doing another podcast on remote education. But the 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 other one is, and we're we're all in this because we're all human. Uh, is healthcare, and I think what we've seen with Amazon over the last, I guess, two to three months, which is. Uh, they're now distributing and, and uh, you know, sending out prescription drugs via their platform. They're also, I believe, going to vaccinate their supply chain. So I think they're probably, Amazon is probably a company that will seize billions from the top, top healthcare firms in the US. It'll be interesting to see what then happens in Europe and further afield. And then it'll be interesting to see what happens at retail. So does Walmart get into healthcare via acquisition? I don't know if, if this is the same in the UK, Lee, but for Whitney in the US, like what you can do is you can book a COVID test with CVS or one of the big uh, uh, pharmacy companies in in the car park or car lot of, of their, their their property, get a test and then get the test results pretty much shortly thereafter. That that's that changes the face of, of retail in terms of not just the, the functional use, but like what what the future holds because retail has now been used for distribution purposes and for testing purposes. So if you've got the likes of Walmart, which I believe there's an American that's closer uh, uh, in terms of proximity and physically closer to a Walmart than there is a, a church in the U.S. So they're they're everywhere, and I just wonder what what will happen there. And I I do think healthcare as we know it is is fundamentally changing. And then you're seeing the proliferation and growth of all these kind of telemed companies and um, you know over the phone concierge services. I, that for me, I would say that education media are 
arguably travel and tourism as we spoke about are arguably the most the ones that are going to change uh most fundamentally and the so. media side of things i mean i know what you were talking about a different part of this but some of the um free-to-air media i think over the last nine ten months have made a bit of a a bit of a mistake i think they've there's a lot of um, penalties and fines of businesses that have not advertised um, over COVID. And what that means is that as soon as there's an opportunity to potentially move away or use different means for their advertisement, then they'll go and do it. And I've, you know, I've already seen one CPG business that are talking about doing direct consumer TV, which if you go back a few years ago, the thought of that is just, you know, probably on no one's mind at all. But the fact that they've been kind of led down this path and they're now being hit with either prospective fines or they kind of had their, um, you know, their arm put behind their back a little bit, then it's going to change the face of how they're going to try and advertise themselves in the future. So I think there's a bit of a, I think that was a mistake, to be quite honest. And I think that there'll be, again, a bit of a reckoning around where that money's spent in future. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, that, that's a wrap. Um, 30 minutes of uh, good, insightful, compelling uh, information lee as always mate really appreciate your time it's it's much appreciated uh love having you on the show love talking to you as always uh you're a good mate um so thanks a million for coming on cool yeah well thanks shane thanks Whit. thanks for having me on um it's always good to talk about this stuff um i guess if anybody would like to learn any more about wonderman thompson technology or me um the the some of the numbers that i've quoted and some of the stats were from a report called experiences customers want uh, just whack it into Google, you'll find the report itself. Um, and it's got a lot more detail around what consumers are saying around online experiences and, and what they mean to them. But yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to talk and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers. Mate. Yeah, thanks ever so much. And just for our listeners, just a, a quick reminder. So Lee is the CEO of Wonderman Thompson Technology out of the UK. Um, and Wonderman Thompson is part of the WPP group, which is one of the biggest uh, hauling companies, if not the biggest hauling agency company in the, in the world. So really great stuff. Thanks a million, man. Appreciate it. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks ever so much for joining us today, Lee. And thank you to all our listeners. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us personally on offtheclockattptdigital.com. And for more information on how to optimize this new digital business environment, head to our website, tbtdigital.com.